Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Friday. I want to hop around before it gets late. Uh, Obviously, tonight is Tisha but that means tomorrow Deparsha is, uh, what do you call it, Dvarim? They put Dvarim, of course, always the Shabbos prior to Tisha Like, for example, this year is a Nisra, it's before Sunday. Um, for a whole bunch of reasons. The usual reason is, has the word Eicha in it. Moshe Rabbeinu is going to complain, Eicha Solovadi, Tarchachem Vasechem. Rivchem, that you Jews drove me crazy. How can I, one man, handle all your burden? Tarchachem, your tircha, masachem, you're all a, a big burden of pain. Rivchem, and your quarrels, your constant quarrels. You know, it really got to him. This is Moshe talking in the 40th year before he's going to die. So he's saying, I've heard with a lot of junk from you guys, you know? So, uh, which is kind of interesting. So, the bottom line is that, uh, therefore I told God I can't handle it, and Hashem said, Whatever they'll get you help us. We all know the story. So my point is that usually they say, well, you want to do Echa in the Chumash before you read Echa on Tishabov. So therefore they always arrange it with the double parshas and non-double parshas that at the parsha of Dvorm, which has Echa in it, should be the one you see just before you read Echa on Tishabov. Which is fine with me. Uh, but you know, it's one of those cases I think where you see the how they say you see the trees, but you don't see the forest. Because the real reason, as far as I can tell, is that um, it's the first t- story, the first Tisha Uh Because Moshe goes on to tell the story of the Moraglim, does he not? In this week's Pasha, take a look at it if you're interested. He's recounting everything over that happened 30, 40 years before. You realize that the whole book of Dvarim is. Um, a leap in time that Moshe is saying this just before he dies. So it's in the 40s here in the desert. And all the other stories in Shemos and Vayikra and, and much of Bamidbar are in the first and second years after leaving Egypt. Only the last couple of parshas with the uh, Bilam and, you know, some of those other things are, uh, you know, the Benos Midian and so forth. They take place during that last year. Aaron dies, Miriam dies, and, and so forth. But uh, Moshe is usually recounting what happened long ago. So let's think about this just logically for a second. Um, what is the book of Dvarim? This is a speech of Moshe Rabbeinu. I'll say it again. It's a speech of Moshe Rabbeinu. Where did I get that from? It kind of says it, doesn't it? Eila Dvarim Moshe Moshe. Then you say like this, what's it doing in the Chumash? I thought Chumash is all from God. This is a question that, you know, all the commentators dealt with long ago. And obviously the answer they come up with is... I don't know if you ever thought about this. I'm just, you should have. The answer, of course, is, yeah, Moshe said this all, but then God then told him before he died, you know, I want to incorporate your speech into the Chumash, but say it over the way I tell you, so you can be conformed to the Rambam, to Maimonides, and say, that Hashem said, Eila, Aleph, Lamed, Hey, Hadvarim. I mean, Hashem told him exactly what to say, but it was a repeat, although maybe not verbatim, of Moshe's long speech, because it's a long speech. It's kind of even rambling. 
Advarim Boyschan Eikav Rei is like one long thing where he's always giving me Musar, he's causing him out, and then he's he's saying again and again and again, be from, be from, be from, and don't go off the derech. Uh, look at Dvarim Boyschan Eikav Rei. But interspersed with that is, uh, and by the way, the this, this speech goes all the way through the book. It's a little bit weird that, you know, when you get to Shoftim Kisej saying Kisel, it's just all halachas. But it could be, you know, it could be. This is all part of Moshe's speech. Because when you get back to Kisel and the Tochacha, and especially Nitzavim and Vayelach, I mean, that's Moshe already, you know, he's, he's getting personal again. Uh, how does the speech, this is the dying speech of Moshe Rabbeinu. How does the speech end? Well, you got to go all the way to the end. Just for Hazinu and Moshe says, I know you're all going to mess up once I'm gone. You're darn good. Ki adati, how's it go? Ki achres, ki adati, ki achri mosi hashreis hashchisim besartim enadech hashitzivisesem. Then Moshe says, before I go, I want you to know, I just read you the tocha, I told you about the tocha, which Moshe's tocha, the Gemara says, is worse than Hashem tocha. The tocha in, in, um, <laughs> in Dvarim is more severe than the one in uh, Vayikra. And then Moshe said, the reason I told you is because I know you're going to screw up and therefore uh, it's going to hit you. And when a Holocaust hits you, don't say it was this Mikra because I predicted it. Right? Something like that. All the things that I just described will hit you and uh, you'll know why. So here's a uh, <laughs> Jewish parent, you know, about to go. And he's uh, telling the kids what he thinks of them. And, you know, I know you, Sam, and Harold, you're going to run the business under the ground. I just know it. I built up a whole enterprise, and you're going to run it into the ground. I've seen this, perhaps you have, many times. So it's a very interesting speech. But it's a speech. It's, it's an exercise in rhetoric. Hashem decided to incorporate this, because meaning that God tells him, take all these words and write them in the Chumash. Again, when we read the book of Dvarim, it's very interesting, I'm saying, there, there are Mafarshim and books on this. When you read Dvarim, is that literally the word that Moshe said? Maybe yes, maybe no. We never know. All we know is Hashem told him right down. That's all we know. So, maybe Moshe added more in there. Maybe he added less. Moshe, maybe Moshe was more long-winded. Maybe it was less. You know, it's, it's impossible to tell those sorts of things. Uh, some of it sounds, you know, very reasonable. For example... Hashem really said, you should say, uh, it's, it's a highly personal complaint in the part of Moshe Rabbeinu. On the other hand, it's very compact and succinct. Maybe Moshe just went on for half hour, for example, ranting about how bad the Jews are and how ungrateful and how they messed him up and lied and this and that and the other. And it was reduced by Rebbe Shalom to We don't know. Uh, these are questions an intelligent reader will ask, but it's not possible to ascertain the answer. So Dvarim has this character that the other books don't have. I'm just saying, you know, they've only gone to other people, have gone to this at, at some length. I'm sure some of the readers, some of you listeners know what I'm talking about, but I'm equally sure some of the other ones don't. Now, uh, in this speech, so it's clear from the context that Moshe Benu uh, is giving a dying speech, but he's obviously facing a certain question. And the question is, you took us around for 40 years, where are we? We're nowhere. Uh, we started out in the desert, we're still in the desert. The same way that Korach's assistants 
Adas and Avirim complained to Moshe. You know, Avilers Zavas Cholav Udvash Lova Avil Sonu. Right? Artisanal Nachlas Arvikam. We didn't get anything. You talk, talk, talk for forty years. You didn't give anything. And therefore, Moshe is giving a defense of his leadership. And he said, "Listen, it wasn't my fault. It was your fault." And I'm not just trying to shove the blame one. Let's go down and talk exactly what happened. And what is the beginning of the speech after a few introductory pesukim? He mamish goes into the history. Let's go back to when we had the Ten Commandments, and then we stood for a year or whatever it was at Arsina, and then one day Hashem said, "Start moving, head towards Israel." And as we all know, we got on the way to Israel, and then Moshe outlines the fact that uh, they rebelled and you didn't want to go. They had the Meraglim. And that's why we never got into Israel. Hashem, you know, punished the generation and they had to wander till all the old generation died. In other words, when Moshe is giving this speech today, uh, there's no one to contradict him because the whole generation is all gone. Very interesting. Why didn't Moshe give this speech 10 years, 20 years earlier or whatever? Because then people would say, no, you're lying. This is how it really happened. You know how Jews are. This is how it really happened. Now they're all gone. All he's dealing with is the one who were not 20 at the time of the Meraglam, you know, so they're not interfering, and he's saying, this is how I see it, this is the way it is, and perhaps the reason Hashem incorporated the Chumash is precisely to give the divine stamp of approval to say, you know, you think Moshe's giving his spin on it. No, this is what happened. You know, in other words, what Moshe's telling you, Taka happened, and the other versions are false, and I got him proving this by incorporating these words in the Torah, uh, which is uh, quite an interesting way of looking at it, at least to my mind. Now, the Meraglim is the first Tishabov. That's my point of the, all this. Uh, we, right or wrong? I mean, what is Tishabov? The Mishnah famously said, it's five things. Well, you got Bias Rishon, Bias Shani, that's two. You got Beitar with the Barkocha business, that's three. What else you got? You got Nechra Shahair, I think, that uh, after the Romans destroyed the city, they plowed it over. Some of those it was flattened which is something that happened in the second temple, not the first, by the way. Uh, what's the big deal, by the way, of Nechor Shahir? Why is that such a Tishabov uh, business? As, to my mind, I think it means that... Um, I'll tell you exactly what I think it means. This is from history already. Uh, it's not Titus and those guys who flattened the city, because they didn't. You read Josephus closely, and they, you know, they knocked down the walls, and they trash this and the other, but they didn't flatten the city. But later on, in the time of Hadrian, which was 50, 60 years after the Corbin, the Romans decided to rebuild Jerusalem as a pagan city. Uh, Ilya Capitolina. That's a famous story they talk about in the Barcochla Rebellion accounts. So, let me get this straight. The Roman Empire, some decades after the Tisheva, when they destroyed the Vesemigdash, came to the site and for Roman imperial policies, they said, we're building a new city on top of the old one, which therefore means we have to flatten the old one. So Nechoshair means, at least to my mind, Nechoshair means that the city was, the old Jewish city was completely destroyed, plowed over, and then replaced with a Roman city, and for the next 500 years, no Jew was allowed to be in Jerusalem. That's a historic fact. In other words, from the, sixth, from the 130s, to the 630s, to the year 640, uh, which is exactly 500 years, uh, no Jew was allowed to be in Jerusalem. Instead, for the first 200 years, 
from the 130s to the 330s or thereabouts. Uh, it was for pagans of the Bazaar and those Greeks, Romans, Arab, all the other junk over there, zero Jews. And then when the Roman Empire switched to be Christian under Constantine, the city was strictly for Christians, again, no Jews. And then it was only in the 640 or so that the Arabs took over and they let Jews in. So, Nechoshoyer means literally the physical traces of the old Jerusalem were obliterated, uh, which then you can already hear it's a Tishabov. I mean, that was a national catastrophe, especially if you live in the time of the Mishnah or thereabouts. And the Mishnah dates, you know, to the Tanoim and maybe a, little, a tiny bit later, you know, so time you hear let's say the year 200. By the time the mission is written, in the form that you and I have it today, the mission went through several editings. Uh, I have a book on that, the Gershurigon, there's just art scrolls coming out with soon. And um, by the time of the Mishnah, uh, the loss of the temple was magnified by the fact that Jews were not allowed to go there. Now, plain and simple. Uh, which must have really uh, driven them crazy. I'm talking about the time of Mount Ryan. Because imagine, no Jews allowed to be in Yerushalayim, by law. Uh, they'll kill you, you know. Wow, I mean, that's a gallus, Shabbat gallus. And therefore, you have four items first temple, second temple, Beitar, and then Nechoshalir. But we're forgetting the first one, which is the Maraglim. Uh That's the original Tishabov. The story that we read in today's part that Moshe Rabbeinu is recounting about how he sent out the spies and they came out with a bad report, and then everybody said, We're not going to go, and God said, You're all going to die here. That happened on Tishabov of the second year. No, the Jews left Egypt, obviously, on Pesach. Then give it another year to have the Mishkan and maybe stuff like that. And then after the first, after the second Pesach, in other words, one year following the exit of Egypt, a little bit later, you have Chais Parshish Korach and things like that. And then you have the story of the Meraglim. And as we all know, uh, the, the spies went away for 40 days and 40 nights. Isn't that right? They went on a, on a mission spying about uh, the land of Israel, and then they came back with the bad report and the guns of business. So, uh, just walk it back. What's 40 days before Tisha B'Av? I don't know, you know, was it uh, Thomas, something like that? Uh, beginning of Thomas, or uh, end of Sivan, something like that. And uh, you get the idea. You understand? You, you see exactly what happened. It all culminates on Tisha B'Av. And when is it? So, tomorrow, or more accurately, tomorrow night and Sunday... Uh, we're all going to mourn for Tishabov. The Nidcha, we're all going to mourn. Okay, uh, what are you going to talk about? Well, the story first goes with the uh, with the Maraglam. Oh, that's why you read Parsha's Devar. So you and I, if we're attuned, when we hear the Parsha tomorrow, you say, oh, yeah, Moshe Benim, Maraglam, that's the original Tishabov. And all the other, you know, bad things derive out of that. This is like the morale and people like that. You know, he says, all five are connected and one's built out of the other and Obviously, if there hadn't been a Maraglim, there wouldn't have been a Chorim Beis Amigdash, and so on and so forth. So I'm simply saying, you go with the plain push up push up shot of what we're reading tomorrow, no fancy stuff, just a little bit of thought, and you see, right away, the, the Parsha Dvarim is the uh, preceding uh, text to read from the Chumash about Tishabov, because the original Tishabov goes back to the time of Moshe Rabbeinu. That's just uh, interesting. As I said, it's one long Moshe Shmuz, sort of, uh, read Dvarim, then read Vashana, then read Ekev, and then Re'e. When you get to Shoftim, it's a little more legalistic. But until Dvarim, Vashana, Ekev, Re'e, it's just one, you know, harangue after another. It's a Musr, you know. Uh, 
like I said before, don't worship idols, don't believe in this, stay away from that, keep the mitzvahs, love the Lord, fear the Lord, all those little things, over and over again, over and over again. And uh, it's interesting exercise in rhetoric. And uh, is this eloquent? Is it not eloquent? There is a chazal. I remember it's a Medeshaba somewhere in, uh, in, in, in uh, Dvorim. I saw it some time ago. Where it says, hey, what happened to Mr. Kvad Peh? Turns out you're pretty doggone uh, eloquent. Uh, remember at the burning bush, Moshe said, I can't speak. Well, Aras Vasayim, Kvad Peh. And now he's giving whole speeches. <laughs> you know, they're running for pages and pages and pages. So that's not a good point. Now, you could learn, obviously, uh, that Moshe Abedin, you know, learned on the job. I mean, the person, he, he was 40 years leading the Jewish people over the course of time. You pick up the eloquence of speaker's tricks. So you start a Kavad Peh or not. But then again, it has, that raises the question, what exactly is the definition of Kavad Peh? The Moshe had a heavy mouth. After all, it's not me. My observation, the Chumash goes to the trouble of telling you that. We don't know many things about Moshe. We know he was humble. Uh, we know that he was a Kavad Peh. Uh, Rashi, I think, says they stuttered. Isn't that right? Megangim. Which could come for many reasons. When we were kids, we all heard the story. Rashi and so forth. Where did he put the coals in the mouth, right? When he was a little baby. Or a little kid. Uh, but that's not as, as one interpretation. It could also be stuttering for some speech impediment. Some of them, before some learned that he was born, Ben um, I think, or some says his son was born with a speech impediment. That's all. You know, nowadays you get the speech therapy for that. Um, some learn. Uh, by the way, you, you go look it up. It's very interesting. I remember this. The Rajbam, who's always Mr. Super Rationalistic, the Rajbam says, Kvad Peh means the Moshe Rabbeinu, who's about 80 years old at the time of the burning bush, said, I've been away from Egypt so long, I, f- I forgot to speak Egyptian well. So it was Kvad Peh in the Egyptian language. Don't send me to, s- to speak to Pharaoh. I won't be good at it. Get somebody who's uh, better in the Egyptian language. If you got me 50 years ago, or 60 years ago, and I was 20, 30 years old, and I wasn't uh, too far away, knows I was still living in Egypt, and I had my diploma from boys' Latin, you know, I spoke very well, or boys' hieroglyphics, and I went to Harvard and Yale, and I could speak Egyptian very well. No, I could hear it, but I'm an old man, and I've been a shepherd among the Midianites for a long time, and I forgot how to do, uh, you know, uh, Egyptian which is a completely different spin. And, uh, you know, there's other interpretations, but the one famous interpretation, I think the Rond, the Rosh Hashanah, I think, going by memory here, is that Kvad uh, Peh means he was very censorious. Moshe Rabbeinu was very critical. You know, in other words, he was a Kvad Peh. Uh, some people are like that, you know. It's not easy to be around them. Uh, it's like a mother, you know, <laughs> or a parent. Also, your shirt's unbuttoned, you know. What do you have to tell everybody? You're at a bar mitzvah. Why is everybody about to see? You know, your your cufflink is, is not matching. You know, yeah, your sock is torn. That's a kavad peh. You understand? You're always, you're always pointing out the faults. Now, by the way, the mother does it out of love. <laughs> right? But nevertheless, people say, oh, you vey, I don't want to be around them. They're going to point out all my shortcomings. So kavad peh could be like that. And in talking to Book of Dvorim, you kind of see Moshe is that way. He's very uh, censorious, very criticizing, critical. According to the Rambam, this way Moshe uh, doesn't get buried in Israel. Didn't make it to Israel. We all know Moshe Rabbeinu dies, can't get in Israel, but it never says exactly why. So, because it doesn't say exactly why, there's a whole bunch of reasons that are offered. You know, he hit the rock instead of speaking to it, as we all know. And because uh, he said, I'm an Egyptian, not a Jew. One of them, the Rambam, says, 
I think in the Mordechai, I believe, uh, the Rambam says that when he says Shimon Hamorim, no, he he starts cussing out the Jews because he lost his temper. You rebellious, so and so and such and such. And remember, I tell you again, that's what it says in the Chumash. Uh, we don't know what Moshe actually said. He could have said, "You lousy, good for nothing, such and such and so on and so forth." Hashem, when he told him what to write in the Chumash, he said, "You know, just say Shimon Hamorim." According to Rama, that's why he lost his temper. I mean, that's why he uh, was uh, prohibited from uh, coming to Eretz Yisrael. Because a manhig, a leader, cannot lose his temper and can't start uh, screaming at the others. And it's very interesting. I mean, let's put it this way. This is a question of politics with a capital P in the Aristotelian and even the Machiavellian sense. A per- if, you, if you're given tremendous power, absolute power, you better be very, very careful uh, not to lose your temper and to be governed by reason, and, uh, you know, uh, not, not let your anger or temper show, because it, you got somebody killed like that, you know, I'll tell you a story, boy, I haven't thought of this in a long time, my father was in the concentration camp in Dachau, and uh, then came in 1945, and by the time the American army came and liberated them, he was 99% dead, you know, he weighed like 80 pounds or whatever, and he had dysentery and this, and that, you know, typhus, who knows what he had. And somehow or other he survived, obviously, or I wouldn't be here. And he was many months in, in, a, in, a, in a hospital, an American military hospital. And then when he finally we had a good, he had a good constitution. And um, when he got out, which was later in 45, like 46, so he was in DP camp at a certain barracks. I remember he told me a story, but I haven't thought of this in a long time. And uh, they put him in a certain barracks. They were all Romanisha, a bunch of Romanian Jews. That's what happened to be he was in the barracks. He was the only non-Romanian there. Uh, Litvak. And they liked him, this and that. And the other, you know, whatever, he, he made an impression on them. And these guys were smuggling and smuggling all over the place. You know, the Romanians, you know. It's uh, after the war, black market and so forth. It was a happy hunting ground for all kind of illegal activities. That's what Jews did. <laughs> Not only Jews. And so make a long story short, and my father didn't do that. So they basically said, you're going to be the, uh, what's the right word, the arbiter over here, arbitrator over here, or whatever. You'll, you'll be the, the inside judge. If one guy cheats another guy and Hilk is cheating, you know, if one guy breaks through a smuggling rules for the smugglers, whatever they do, we don't want to bring this, obviously, to the authorities' up, uh, attention or anybody else's. So we'll settle this in-house, and you'll be the judge. Because you're, you're the one not participating. And you look like an honest guy. And that's what he did for a while. So, uh, <laughs> like, like Yisrael's story, you know, whatever, and I remember he told me that some guy did some, one Romanian cheated another Romanian in a particularly vicious way. Something really disgusting. I'll never remember. This is from a long time ago. And he really got everybody angry, including my father. And he said, how can you do a thing like this and you're like a terrible person. And he said something along the lines, uh, you know, you deserve to be badly punished for this. That's all they needed to hear. All the guys ganged up and beat the heck out of the guy till he's black and blue and brown and green. I mean, they really slugged him in the barracks. And my father got scared because he saw what a power he had. You understand? Power is sweet and it's dangerous. Just because he said, you did a terrible thing, the guy got smashed to bits. And he quit and left the barracks and all this kind of stuff because he didn't want to deal with it. Meaning, don't 
get great power unless you've got the temperament and the wisdom uh, to always use your brain and never your emotions. And uh, his emotion of Avinu had all this big power. And, uh, and, and on occasion, he, he, he lost his temper. And uh, on occasion, he's very critical, like in the Book of Dvorim. And it could be dangerous, you understand? Uh, the Koach Adibur, in the literal sense and in the uh, broader sense. So this is very interesting uh, that you look... By the way, what's the name of the book? Dvorim, <laughs> words, power of words. Uh, we all know that uh, words can be pretty bad. Uh, that's the bullying and all that kind of stuff. Listen, let's be honest. Everybody who's responsible for someone else, like a parent or uh, a Rebbe or, you know, any kind of, or a camp counselor even, all you have to do is really diss somebody pretty badly, get, get, you know, say some pretty cutting, uh, harsh remarks, make fun of somebody, and, uh, boy, you messed that kid up for your life. Now you say, oh, I was just kidding, I was just, eh. doesn't work like that. We can see nowadays people have phobias and shmobias and all kind of psychological problems because somebody, you know, spoke to them in a certain way back when they were 10, 12, 13, 14, 15 years old. I mean, that that is how people are. We have a very uh, fragile psyche a lot of times. Now, some people are healthy, and they say, guess, sticks and bones break my bones, neighbors never hurt me. But for many, many people, and I bet for most, uh, names do hurt. Uh, this is where we get the bullying, as I always say. This is where we get the suicides and all the other self-destructive behavior that people believe because of bullying. And, you know, it's almost like Moshe Rabbeinu. It's almost impossible to avoid it. Listen, Moshe was there for 40 years. Uh, and the whole time, if you count up all the mistakes or the losing temper in the Chumash, two, three, four times, I don't know, you know, Shimon Amorim, Harganiel, you know, a few times. So you'll say like this, that's a pretty good record. 40 years, taking all this Tarchachem, Masa, Horivchem, and only losing your temper, you know, three, four, five times, doesn't matter. Those three, four, five times had a big negative effect on the others. That's the meaning of the Rambam when he says he couldn't get into Israel because he screamed at them. Uh, it's very scary because, let's face it, uh, you know, everybody makes those mistakes. I do. You do. As a parent, uh, as a teacher, as a rabbi, as a uh, authority figure of any sort or influence of whatever sort, you're never going to get 100% right. And, uh, you know, raise your hand if you're the parent that's never made a mistake. I want to see how many liars are listening. You know, it's, uh, it, it's part of life. That's the book of Devarim, the book of words. And the Hebrew language, by the way, is, uh, I think, uh, almost unique. Uh, Hebrew and Greek, I believe, that they, by them, the word word means thing. You know, Dover is a thing, right? And Dover is a word, which means we regard words as, as mamish things, you know, as, as, as powerful metzias. It's not just uh, unreal uh, words are real. Uh, it's a davar. Greek is also anima, which means the same thing. It can mean a word or it can mean a thing. So the Jews and the Greeks, which are two very, very important civilizations, uh, they are the formation of Western civilization, according to Matthew Arnold. The Jewish and the Hellenistic, uh, they put a primacy on dvarim and words. And uh, look at that. Words can bring uh, the biggest hatred and the biggest love. Bayashani was destroyed because of the hatred, as we know, meaning there were civil wars among the Jews. Just as a aside, Tishabov is tonight and then technically on Friday night, I mean, Saturday, oh, Saturday night and Sunday. I don't know if you notice, if you've ever been in my keynotes or my speeches, or some of them are now online, and some of them are on these uh, podcasts over here. I did a series years ago on uh, Hanukkah to Tishabov where I cover all this business. 
And I have another series somewhere about the Rakoka Rebellion. I think it was called Romans and Jews that I did a number of years ago. Sooner or later, you know, this will all be on, on this uh, site, on this podcast site. just takes time. Um, but in both of these uh, cases, uh, you know, uh, things... Let, let me put it this way. In the War of Tisha B'Av that culminated in Beis Amigdash being destroyed, most Jews were killed by other Jews, not by Romans. Uh, that's the meaning of sin of schinim. It doesn't mean that they say, I don't like the color of your tie, or I think you're uh, stupid. It means that it reached a civil war. And this is recorded in great detail in Josephus. And it's uh, paralleled by uh, certain select passages in the Chazal, and the Gemara, and the Medrash. Uh, I am, on Sunday morning, this year I am pledged to go do the keynotes and talk about all this at the uh, Nair Tomic Congregation. Because uh, last year I did Shomri, this year Nair Tomic. But uh, uh, anybody's ever been with my thing before, you know that... Um, the civil wars that raged among the Jews and the tortures that the Jews did on each other far exceeded the killing of Jews by Goyim, by Romans, and far exceeded the tortures, frankly, that the Romans inflicted on the Jews. That's a sad statement I just made. That the Jews were worse to each other than the Goyim were to the Jews. We have such a capacity. Uh, we have such a power. And that's why it's Ela Dvorma Shadiba Moshe. The words of Moshe were like things, you know, had a, had a, had a big power. And... Um, the hour is late, so I'll just say as we approach Tisha B'av, you're seeing the Parsha tomorrow, and uh, you know you see over again the censoriousness, you know the critical tone adopted by Moshe. Even though I'm sure he did it out of love and all the rest of it, but like the parent who's uh, surrounded by kids, they say a bunch of losers. He says, "I love you all, but I know you're going to mess up after I'm gone." But he doesn't stop admonishing them, nevertheless, because you, if you love somebody, you can't help say. You're doing this wrong. I know you're not listening, but you're doing it wrong. I just want to, you know, hopefully get it into your uh, thick skulls. So, to my mind, these are the uh, interesting aspects that strike you on uh, on this era of Tisha B'Av that we're on now. Uh, now is already the 8th of Av, tonight is the 9th of Av. So, back in the Roman times, they were fighting literally at the gates of the temple. They were already in the Temple Mount. And, uh, you know, it was hand-to-hand combat. They went all through the 8th into the 9th. Uh, I don't think you're going to go and pull out of Josephus over here, the Bella Judaica, the Jewish Jewish war, but it's a good idea on Shabbos. Um, you know, you can't learn tomorrow after midday uh, unless you learn Tisha B'Av stuff. And so well, one of the things you might want to do, other than the usual yeshiva business, just to go through Kamsa by Kamsa Gemara and, and get in, that's fine, of course. Uh, there's the Medrash Rabba and Echa. In my shul, I do a class on that always. Traditionally, an hour before Mincha, the Menasheicha, and uh, you might be interested. I think in Abbas Rav Nosson. Not many people know that there's a lot of very interesting information about the Bayesheni Korban and all that in the Abbas Rav Nosson, which the art school is now translated in English. I think it's in the fourth chapter, but I don't remember where. But you can, if you look around, you'll find it. And uh, these are the classic sources that deal with the national tragedy. But of course, the idea is. Learn from the lessons of the past and not repeat it. But that's trite. So I don't want to end on something trite, so I'll just say, have a good Shabbos. Are you allowed to say have a good Shabbos today? I guess so, yeah. So have a good Shabbos and a thoughtful fast. I won't say an easy fast, have a, a thoughtful fast. Bye. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, 
please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.